Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm here presenting Talking Design. And I'm here today with a very special guest, Hugo Davidson. He's director of NOG, Bicycle Products, Lighting, Locks. It's probably one of those products, you know, normally when you think of industrial design, you think of very glamorous products like motor cars, furniture. Hugo doesn't do any of that. He does uh, products for bicycles, and he's actually um, being very responsible for making uh, the bicycle industry very sexy. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Hugo, just briefly, you're an industri- you trained as an industrial designer at RMIT before moving to Curtin University. That's right, yep. What was the interest for you for industrial design? Well, my, my father was an architect, and... Um, so I was brought up in a, a house which was filled with uh, design and influences in relation to architecture. Uh, and right up until uh, going to university, I thought I was going to follow his footsteps. Um, but in actual fact, he talked me out of it and uh, because the building industry was yeah. topsy-turvy and there was a lot of other uh, issues. And, and in fact, I showed a, a much more interest in... Uh, product. product, which was a scale that you could actually hold and you could feel and you could touch. So um, I started RMIT. I was a terrible student. I never turned up. I, uh, I bucked all the trends and uh, I realised after the first year I needed to, to go part-time and I travelled and I did a lot of other things, which meant that probably two or three years later it was much more appropriate for me to go back and, and go to, as far away from Melbourne as I could, which was Western Australia. And they had a great course there at Curtin University. Um, so I finished my course course there. And um, over that period of time, I actually was working in design with uh, Telstra and um, uh, uh, exhibition design with Ansett and a whole range of other uh, smaller uh, consultant consulting sort of projects. Um, and uh, so that sort of led me to then moving overseas and working in London for about four years. Who did you work with in London? In London, I uh, worked with a company called Addison and Lions Ames. I worked with some furniture designers called uh, Hall Richards. Um, I probably uh, worked, I would say, five or six different companies there, uh, really with the aim of getting as much experience with different management and different people within the industry. Uh, And then... uh, came back and uh, started my own my own company which wasn't called nog no no in fact it was catalyst design and which is still catalyst design is still a consulting company which we have in melbourne um but catalyst was uh i came back from overseas and i pulled my father out of retirement and said show me how to run a company and uh and he's working for the firm he still (laughs) were at 86 he's still working with me yeah so he still does his architectural projects in isolation what we do but um he comes in every day uh so quite a mentor in relation to that and and in fact we we went from the two of us to about 24 people over uh i suppose a period of three or four years now for people who don't know nog but it's a large company now and a very serious player in the global market you supply millions of bike lights we do across the world asia china china's part of asia europe america as well as locks that's right very niche hugo is it (laughs) is obviously you've you've come down from a much larger um, product range 
Yeah, we uh, we have we. Um, and why bikes? Maybe explain why, why bikes. Okay, we we started. Uh, I think the thing about consulting, which we found over the twenty years that we've been doing it, is that you have to be passionate about uh, design because within the Australian industry, um, people tend to buy on price. Um, America, the the design services are sold much more on reputation. And so if your your consulting company has done work for mm. Apple or other companies, then, of course, it makes it much easier. In Australia, we found that um, while the, the quality of the projects and the clients was excellent, um, they would always go back to the market to try mm. and find another consulting company after you'd finished a project, which I felt was un, unfair. No loyalty. There was no loyalty. So, um, so, And we looked at this and we kept thinking, we kept seeing all these companies that had made a huge amount of money out of our design and had become very, very successful. So um, I, with my... Um, uh, what were some of those designs, the earlier designs, that you were proud of? Oh, look, we did. Um, we designed mobile phones for NEC, um, the smallest mobile phone in the world at that point in time. We designed some of the first flat-screen uh, monitors for computers, for Keycorp. We did a lot of banking products, um, all of the first FPOS terminals. Uh, obviously, industrial designers do kettles, toasters. Uh, so it was very much consumer electronics, consumer yeah. durables was where our company focused. And... Um, you mentioned when we were in the lead up to this interview that you were doing work for the dot com industries and that changed direction that's, into bicycles. That's Maybe right. just tell us okay. a little bit about that period, which was the late nineties. Yeah, so we, um, we there was this great bandwagon that was the sort of wave of dot com and venture capital that started, and um, back in the late nineties, we decided that we would stop purely consulting. Uh, we had a fantastic idea, which was integrating a, a, a hardware, a piece of um, terminal, not dissimilar to an iPad, um, and putting that uh, into supermarkets in front of different products within the supermarket. So um, we got in touch with a friend of mine who was a software developer in the UK, and um, uh, someone else from uh, I, from IBM who was in Europe, and we came together and went out to raise venture capital. So we raised about $7 million at that stage, and mm. we got the product into the market and piloted and... And, and what did it do exactly, it, this it, computer product? It basically was a, a, a computer screen that sat in front of, um, let's say, in front of... Cornflakes. Uh, cornflakes, exactly, or uh, pasta or beer, and it ran interactive ads so that you could actually interrogate. So if you wanted to um, have pasta for dinner and you wanted to know what wine, you could click and it would tell you all that information mm. um, and that was all downloaded off the internet so um, it, back then the internet was really not uh, what it is today mm. uh, and it was considered to be quite avant-garde so um, that was a, a very very exciting project for us um, which turned into a company which uh, which uh, took about two years of our lives um, but when we needed to finally fund that to roll it out into all the supermarkets after successful trials in mm. the UK and New Zealand and Australia, um, the dot-com crash hit us at about exactly the same time. And, uh, of course, all the investors went running. And um, so we had to to um, dust, pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off. Um, it left us with, you know, huge debts, and we lost a lot of money along the way, mm. our personal, which meant that um, we had to come up with a way of actually 
moving forward. moving forward. And um, we thought, let's go back to our core competence, which was design. And we left the s- selling of media and the software and all of the production aspects behind. And we started developing some little bike lights. And that was... How did that start, Hugo? Well, we, it's not something that people would... No. A designer would even be remotely interested in. Well... We, I think we had enough experience within a whole range of categories and consumer products to identify um, some of the key drivers that we needed. And we looked at bicycles predominantly, firstly, because one of our staff had worked for a long time within that industry. Uh, and uh, he said very clearly, look, th- this industry is full of generic Chinese products which are uninspiring. Um, which don't really have any inspiration uh, on on every level. Because bicycle has bicycle riding a bicycle has changed dramatically. It has, and and we I think our uh, involvement within the industry was actually was half luck and half good management. The the, the industry hadn't and the the bicycle trend hadn't got to where it is now. And um, we started making these products and looked out our studio window to see. You know, just huge volumes of, of people starting to take up riding, and it was just more, as Luck. I say, nearly, nearly. You know, the timing was right. Um, Hugo, but these products aren't just ordinary lights or an ordinary lock. They're quite beautiful to look at as a as a design object. Thank you. Why? Why <laughs> did it? Is it just because people thought it's a rudimentary thing? You need lights for bikes. You need a lock for bikes. Yeah. Let's do the basic product. I think. Um, everyone within uh, an industry, typically within the bike industry, the people we saw when we went to these international fairs to try and get interest in the products had all come from the bicycle industry. They'd grown up as cyclists and then they might have been competition and then they might have been a, a, a mum and pop store. So they had no design background, really. Um, we came to the industry from a consulting design background, having been involved in a whole range of you know, high technology mm-hmm. industries. Um, and so we brought a very different um, baggage with us, really, into that industry, which meant that um, some of even the first product we were very mm-hmm. successful with, which was the little frog light made out of silicon and looking like a frog uh well we called it we called it a frog light because it it sort of resembled the size of a frog and the whole the body was made entirely out of silicon um that was really based on the fact that we had made some we'd been working on some medical products uh which were liquid injection silicon and um and we looked at the material and said let's translate that into this industry uh and so it was the background and the approach we had from all of the other work we'd done over the years that actually f- formulated and um, and sort of cemented our approach to, to NOG. Um, Hugo, you used to do a lot of bicycle-related products, uh, gloves, bags. Yep. Yep. You've narrowed down to locks and lights. And yep. we, we look at a lock, um, I have to hold it in my hands. Yep. It's, quite, um, it's quite curvaceous, it's sinuous. It's it's very tactile and it comes in these amazing um, beautiful colors, colors, beautiful yeah. colors, and so it's really a piece. It's like an object rather than just a chain that you'd put round yes, yeah. a pole. So that's a huge leap it, for it, people who just normally. Sure. And part of I think part of what we tried to bring to the bike industry was I mean we certainly we were the first company to bring color into such a mundane product as a bike light. Um, so selling 
in, in fact, our distributors said, you know, you can't sell this in twelve colours. No one, road. yeah, no one will, yeah, no one will stock it. And yeah. um, and we found that, in fact, introducing twelve colours um, increased the volume of product sales by about eight times. Um, so it was incredible. It didn't, it, you know, it really did have a have a material effect. Well, um, Hugo, a couple of things. Who's your biggest market now in terms of bike locks and bike um, lights? Germany at the moment. And it changes. Uh, probably UK, America, and um, Japan and Germany would be the top four. We sell into about forty-six countries. It's so um, yeah, it's a, look. It's it, it that is a completely different challenge because no longer are we just a design company. We've actually had to change the company from uh, from being a consulting base with a. a resource that had I think 16 or 20 designers and engineers to a brand which needs marketing resource and it needs logistics and it needs finance and it needs um, administration plus engineering and electronics and graphics and so um, it's really quite a different beast that we have now than what we had 10 years ago. Um, I'm looking at a very saucy advertisement, Hugo, that got you into a bit of trouble a while. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Two women um, embracing, um, it looks like a a cafe. They've probably obviously just, you know, got off their bikes. In a a laundry, I think. And you were telling me that that advertisement, it's a magazine you used to produce, um, got you into a bit of trouble in in the American market. It it did. Um, We, I suppose, along with the, the... philosophy of you know trying to really be innovative within some of the product design we really felt that the marketing approach to the brand needed to be something which was different as well and most of the competitive products most of the bike products you open any magazine relating to sports it's always talking about performance and speed and weight Um, and we just thought we wanted to have some fun Mm. so we wanted to be a bit sexy we wanted to be a little bit different and um we tried within the early days of marketing the mm. brand. Uh, we tried a lot of different things that really did polarise people. Um, what was the reaction to the American uh, <laughs> market? Well, did, you, did they tell you to withdraw? Well, we had some. Pro- we had a, 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 some products which were withdrawn and not stocked. There was um, one pack of uh, tire patches we called porno patches um, because we had little drawings, uh, sketches on them, and they were wrapped in a what looked like a condom packet. Um, and they just wouldn't touch them, whereas the rest of the world thought it was quite humorous and and could see the joke. So is um, that joke still shared today? Or well, it, well, we 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 have American uh, product which is called PC patches for America, <laughs> and we have porno patches for the rest of the world. Um, but I think as the brand has developed and as we've actually got um, a little more mature and a little older, uh, we've also had to modify our messages and the approach to marketing because we realise that it isn't suitable for everyone Mm -hmm. and we we want to be successful as far as selling product but we also want to um, retain the forefront of people's minds so it's trying to be clever uh, and be topical and you know the other thing that's an issue in your field is um, plagiarism yes and I I believe you went to one fair where you actually saw the same lock being produced and it was on the stand how do you what's your immediate reaction when you see something like that uh, you don't even mention names because we know no no it's it's very um disheartening i think we look because a lot of work goes into research development and 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 we have now i think uh locks is the most recent but our all of our lights have been copied to the extent that we have to move on and develop new products 
So you have to be ahead of the game. Um, I think there's there's one school of thought that we have which means that you need to protect everything with intellectual property and patents. And what's the issue with that? Well, you then have to have enough money to actually fight it. And what so, type of money are you looking uh, at? Well, you know, me, half a million, a million dollars. Um, when I saw the lock, you can easily say goodbye to a quarter million dollars just in the first the first legal approach to actually try to um, to get a ruling, let alone stop mm. them. So, so it's, you just find it's easy to move on. I think we have to do. We we tend to do a bit of both. We we have we certainly patent and design register. We register all of our designs, um, and we. I think we now understand that many of the Chinese or many of the generic Asian manufacturers will always rip off product mm -hmm. and you can pretty much keep that under control as long as you monitor it but it's when a large European multinational um, who who might uh, mm -hmm. you know say that they're very innovative comes and actually does it that's mm -hmm. when it starts to hurt what's the reaction when you when you see something like this i, I just understand. I, look i you I, must i go up to the their, their managing director and you know ask to ask them to take it off and and provide them with the background information um it, you know if we go any further and look for injunctions and things like that it becomes messy. even more costly and more yeah. messy so it's a difficult it's a very difficult um <coughs> hugo what's the What's the direction for you, for NOG? Where do you see the business going in, say, five, ten years? Yeah, well, it's interesting. We, we um, part of, You mentioned before, Stephen, that we've, we've moved from being a, a, a brand with many products. Well, I think we had um, six or seven categories with computers and yeah. lots of different bicycle products. Um, and we... We spend a lot. Of, we do spend a lot of time dealing with the strategy behind the business, so that we consolidate. And we, the, the approach that our that the consumers and our customers see is one of logic. Um, and I think more recently we've realised that it's a more logical approach to actually be really excellent at bike lights and locks, but across a number of categories. So we're looking at outdoor categories. Um, we're looking at at um, lots of sports categories, um, locks for. Um, for sporting bikes. sporting well not just bikes but yeah. for for snowboards and for surfboards and skis and a whole range of different sporting products so um plus outdoor um which means camping fishing and a whole range of other areas like that so we're looking to extend the they range like. of the, the the range of all of the two categories into to those different areas so it could in in five years time be 50 50 different types of lights that, oh, absolutely it could be yeah so I mean, look. By that stage, yeah. I'm, you know, I'd hope that someone's come and um, seen the the inspiration and offered us lots of money, and and we well, move yeah. on to something else. Because um, I think, really, as a designer, uh, both myself and the other, well, my partner Malcolm, um, always thought that this would be a a project that we would get up and running, and we would move to the next project. And mm. we're very good at starting things. We've just realised that, you know. Um, when you enjoy something, you, you stick to it. So, yeah. uh, how does um, for people who don't know a lot about the process mm -hmm. of designing either you know take this bike lock, how does it generally start? Um, for us, we we do look. We have to be aware of all the other products that are in the market, um, and it's a very price sensitive industry. So that's also very important. We make pretty much everything in China, so mm -hmm. we need to have an understanding of the the processes that we might be able to use um, and then we look at everything that's in the market and we say well let's do something completely different so if if we're going to end up designing a product which is the same as everything on the market the existing products then we tend to 
um, to shy away from it. And then do you go through a testing phase? We go through the typical sketching and concept, but we, we might make um, a whole range of uh, prototypes out of 3D printers and all of the new technologies that are available to us now. We have a lot of testing. Um, we there's For locks, there are testing bodies internationally that have to, has to pass certain mm-hmm. tests. Um, so it's it, what can be a very simple product has to go through quite a rigorous... And then it's tested process. on the market test on the market and typically a product like that will take us about six months from the time we conceive it to the time that we can release it internationally yeah Um, and the obvious question Hugo do you start with orders or do you start with manufacturing and anticipate a certain reaction to a product and then take a gamble in a sense we we always uh, we always try to drive the market, so we'll actually develop the ideas and the product and the uh, even really new niches for products that don't exist is ideal. Um, we then introduce those products to our the, the distributors that we have in the different regions and we ask that they then place orders. So our business model is fairly simple in that we don't have a huge amount of risk in that we don't hold massive stock. inventory and stock. Yeah. Um, but we do have the development risk so there's it, any product would cost between you know is 150 to 150 thousand dollars in development yeah. um so we have to actually have invested in the development before we know if it will be successful and um finally hugo what gives you the most pleasure about <laughs> what you're doing is it seeing the products on everyone's bikes and uh, that that is lovely yeah i do and, and actually going you know going to another country and and seeing retail stores stocked with all of our products and the work that we've done over the years is really gratifying it's really it's very satisfying also do you find it used in different ways the way people oh, like use yeah, bike sure. lights here as opposed to you know I paris think, i think uh, there's some there's some sporting um, endeavors that we don't even think about here Nordic walking and um, you know midnight skiing and things like that because we don't have the, the climate the, the climate um, and all of our products are used extensively in those areas uh, so yeah look I'm sure and pe- oh, we keep getting people emailing saying you know it's wonderful for, for my dog and I I use it you know on the beach and I've, I've attached some lights to my mask and I can stay underwater at night and all these sorts of things so yes there's so that generates new ideas yeah it does it's, yeah. there's there's uh, I think we have so many ideas now we have a, a pipeline of about two years of all oh, the ideas okay. that we we have to try to commercialize see that must be the hardest thing about what you're doing is to stop and say look it is exciting but is there a market for it yeah we we're very i think we're now a little more mature in the way we approach things so we have to be confident that that we invest the time in products which will which will give us some sort of return um, and that will move the business in the right direction. So mm. that's probably the difference from consulting, really. From my perspective, the consulting business was always a, um, a business where you came up with a beautiful product, you had it manufactured, and you could then, um, in many ways, wipe your hands and move on to the next product. What having your own brand does and developing the products where you have to deal with the warranties and you have to deal with the f- consumer feedback um, is it makes you very aware uh, that if something doesn't work properly that it needs to be fixed and mm. so you end up being very responsible for the products you design um, don't, let, don't release them too early until they've gone that's, through that has to go through all the testing but but I think also just in, in relation to consumers uh, consulting a lot of industrial design consulting 
companies really don't see the um, either the success or the failure of the products they do. So it's an interesting. Uh, you know, closing the loop exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Look, thank you so much uh, for coming in today, Please, Hugo. Yeah. Thanks. Um, for we've been with Hugo Davidson, uh, director, co-director of uh, Nog, and I'm sure if you look at your bike, you'll be seeing one of his lights or the company's lights. And uh, you've been with Stephen Crafty, talking design at RMIT University. Thanks for joining us.